Well, welcome. Just very excited to be here together this morning. Um, next weekend, Micah and I are officiating a wedding. So excited. So this will be our second wedding that we officiate together. And um, I just love weddings. Um, I love everything about weddings except the stressful part leading up to weddings. Um, But I love being a part of a wedding. And my favorite part of weddings is when the bride walks down the aisle. And I I love this because it's designed to be such a spectacular approach. Such a glorious moment. The music comes in strong and everyone stands together and turns around to look at the bride walking down the aisle. And often she's dressed in this gorgeous white gown with some sort of train or veil trailing behind her. And it's just this beautiful approach to the altar. And and though not everyone wears veils these days, I remember when I was getting ready for my wedding, um, my mom asked, so do you want to wear a veil? And I'm like, I don't know. But I started trying on dresses, and I found my dress, and then I started trying on veils. I'm like, yeah, I really, I mean, what other chance do you get to wear a veil? Like, I I want it. I want it all. And so I'm going to take this moment to show you our wedding picture, because I can. Cue the awes. I had my veil trailing behind me. We were so young. I was 21. Micah was 23. Um, but it was such, such a beautiful moment. Well, well, this week as I was thinking about, about weddings, I, I got curious about veils and I started researching. Um, I mean, why, why do brides wear a veil anyways? Like, where did that tradition start? And, and, it's really uncertain history there. Like a lot of people don't, people don't really know, but there's a lot of theories out there. Everything from the white veil symbolizing purity to the white veil was to ward off evil spirits in ancient Rome, like just the whole gamut. And, and so I read through some of them. And then my personal favorite, one theory that I came across that I just started laughing because it was so ridiculous. Um, I was reading about a time when marriages were often arranged by families. And, and so this, these parents decided with these parents to have their kids get married, and the bride and the groom weren't allowed to even meet or talk before they got married. And so this theory said that the bride wore the veil over her face so the groom didn't see her face and run away in terror. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? Like, if you start your wedding that way, you know there's going to be a problem. If, if one person runs away as the other approaches, you know it's going to be a tough, a tough marriage. Some fun trivia there on wedding veils. Um, today I'd like to invite us to think about how we approach God. And we're going to look at a story in which Moses puts a veil over his face. 
And a little background for this story, it's in Exodus, and it's after the Israelites um, have miraculously been brought out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God sends Moses, and he says, go and bring my people out of Egypt and come to Mount Sinai and have them meet with me here. And so Moses brings the Israelites to Mount Sinai, and he goes up the mountain to get God's instructions for Israel. And he's up there a long time. And the people give up hope that he will return. They think somehow something's happened to him up on the mountain. And and so they turn away from God and they make an idol. Well, Moses is just fine up there and he comes down after 40 days and he sees what the Israelites have done and they've turned away from God. And he takes the two tablets with God's instructions on them and he, he throws them down and breaks them. And God punishes Israel, and Israel turns back to God, and Moses says, okay, take two. I'm going to go back up the mountain, and I'm going to meet with God and get his instructions for us. And so Moses goes up, and we'll begin here in Exodus 34 when Moses is coming down the mountain for the second time with God's instructions. So Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. I've always been super intrigued by this story. So Moses goes to meet with God, and he, he has some sort of encounter with God. Scripture says he, he spoke with God face to face and something beautiful happened. We don't have a lot of details, but something powerful happened in his interaction with God and his face was radiant. And so when he came back down from the mountain and people saw his face, their reaction was one of fear. And, and they ran away from him. And they said, this is too much for us. This is too powerful. This is too out of the ordinary. And so Moses gently convinces them to come back and gives God's instructions. And then he puts a veil over his face to hide, to conceal what God was doing in him and through him at that moment. And yet... In verse 34, it says, whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak to him, whenever he went back to speak with God, he uncovered his face. He took the veil off. And I love this. I love that he took it off when he went to speak with God. 
You know, people approach us often. We, we all have people approach us. And most of the time, we want to look fairly put together. When people come and talk to me, like, I want to I wanna, I wanna look like I kind of have it. I kind of have it together. You know, what's it like when someone shows up at your doorstep without calling ahead of time? Have you had those experiences when people just show up? Um, I have, and, and my experiences vary with that. Sometimes I'm sitting on the couch, like it's just a lazy day, lazy morning, and I see that car parking in front of my, of my house, and I see the person get out, and I know they're about to come in, and there's this moment of franticness, this frantic p- picking up the clutter, or the frantic running to the closet and putting something on that's more presentable, this, this frantic, okay, I need to make sure that I'm presentable in some way. But I'm also, I've also had the experience where, where I'm sitting on that couch, watching TV or reading a book or playing a game, whatever it is, and I see someone park, and I see who gets out of that car, and it's a good friend coming to see me, just dropping by. And calmly, I get up in my sweatpants and big baggy sweatshirt. And as I'm walking to the door, I grab the hair tie on my wrist and I put my hair up in a messy bun. And not not one of those messy buns that people actually spend time on that's actually like (laughs) symmetrical, you know, one of those messy buns that's clearly not a stylistic choice. Um, But I go to to the door and I open it up and it's a happy moment. Because it's my good friend, and I, I'm not, I don't anticipate any judgment, or I don't anticipate um, a need to put on some, some sort of facade. Like, I can just be myself with no pretense. And so this story here is really powerful to me, because that's what I see in Moses. Because for, for the Israelites... Moses had to manage their expectations. He had to manage their reactions, and he had to put that veil on to cover his face. But with God, he was able to approach just as he was. Paul, in the New Testament, references this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he speaks of a veil that hides or conceals. In, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15, He says, even to this day, when Moses is read, when the commandments that God gave Moses is read, when the law is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is Paul, and so the sentences are really long, and they just keep, keep, keep going. Well, but, but let's like pause here and really take a look at this scripture. Paul references the veil Moses had to put on, and he speaks to a people with veils over their hearts. Not bringing everything. It's, it's this figurative veil that hides and conceals, that creates a barrier. In verse 16, 
He says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is taken away. That when we turn to God, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to manage reactions or expectations. We can come just as we are. In verse 17, he says, the Spirit of God brings freedom. It brings freedom, and freedom in so many different ways. Here, I'm thinking specifically of freedom to approach God just as me, just plain old me. I can approach God. And then verse 18, it says, We all who with unveiled faces, with that openness and honesty coming before God, we come with unveiled faces to contemplate the Lord's glory, to think about God, to focus in on God, the the magnitude of God, the beauty of God, the power of God, the love of God, that that's where our thoughts are. That's, that's what we contemplate. And when we do that, we're being transformed into his image through the Spirit. That the Spirit of God works in us and shapes us to look more like the God of love that we know he is, to be more like the, the God of grace. And the verb tense here is interesting um, to me for, for all you people who like grammar and stuff. Um, it says we are being transformed. So it's not that we're transforming ourselves, but we are being transformed. It's something that is being done to us. And for my personality type, this is really hard. Like, I'm, I'm the achiever. I'm the go-getter. So I'm going to decide what I'm going to do, and I'm going to plan it out, and I'm going to follow through on it. Like, but that's not what it says. It says we are being transformed through the Spirit, and God shapes us to reflect more of his nature of love. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have. When we try to transform ourselves, And sadly, um, faith and spirituality can sometimes be reduced to a self-improvement plan. Right now, I'm a, I'm a part of an 18 month long, um, spiritual formation academy. And so I go, I read books, I have classes, I do spiritual directions. It's a really, it's a really neat program that I'm doing right now. And at my first retreat in, um, June, one of the professors there, uh, Morris Dirks spoke. And he spoke on something that has really stuck, stuck with me. He spoke on, on spirituality and he asked the question, on whom is your spirituality focused on? Like in your spiritual walk with God, who are you focused on? And he, he drew out this simple little diagram. And at first he took a, he took a piece of paper and he put God and me on one side, and God and me on the other side. And he said, for, for what I've experienced is often we focus in our spirituality and our faith on what we can do, on what I can do. And we, we all our thoughts and energies, and he started drawing circles around the me, are, are circling around ourselves. So how am I doing? 
What do I need to fix? Um, you know what? I need to pray more. I need to do more. I need to be better. I need to share my faith more. I need to love better. I need to be a better parent. I need to be a better friend. All because, and here he draws a little arrow to God, all because I want you, God. And, and the focus is on what we do. The focus is on what I do. It's very egocentric, he said. And then he said, there's, a, there's an alternative. There's another way of approaching spirituality. And he goes to the other side, and he starts drawing circles around God. And he says, you know, what if we focus just on God? What is, what is God doing? How is God doing? You know what? I think God's doing just fine. You know, he is love. He is enough for me. He's setting things right. He's healing and restoring me and others. He wants to be with me in both my brokenness and pain and in my joy and peace. You know what? He loves me. And he drew the arrow to me. He loves me. And I am his beloved. And he wants me to live in his love. And the focus is on God. It's God Centric. And when I look at these two ways of approaching spirituality, I think, oh man, the egocentric spirituality is exhausting. I've lived there a good share of my life where my spirituality and my faith was about being a better person for God. Not that I don't want that, but that was like my focus. And then when I look to the other side, the God-centric spirituality, I realize how that gives God the freedom to transform me into the person that he created me to be. This is not like a one-day one thing. This is not a one-time thing, a one-experience-with-God thing. What we're looking at here is a spiritual journey, a lifelong process. And, and I recognize we're, we're all going to be at different parts of that journey, and that's totally okay. Um, the road winds around and goes different places, and there's its ups and downs. It's a lifelong journey, but the journey is beautiful. It's a journey of being transformed by God to, into the unique reflection of who he created us to be to be transformed by him, to reflect him as he created us uniquely to do. When we started um, 2019, uh, this year, we, we claimed it as our year of belief. So our three, our, our, our three words that we go back to a lot, belong, believe, become, the, the discipleship journey. And we claimed 2019 as our year of belief at the vine. And we began to look at the life of Jesus through the gospel of John. And, and we began to ask, well, what does belief mean? And belief can be defined in so many different ways. It can be a specific set of beliefs, like knowledge of God. It could be um, a conversion experience, okay, like I didn't believe in God, but now I, I believe in God. can also be defined in, in, in how I think of it. I think of belief as a journey, this process of transformation. Um, the message, which is a paraphrase 
speaks to this um, th- this verse here in Second Corinthians three eighteen. The way um, Eugene Peterson describes it, he says, "Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him." Gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful. That is a journey I want to continue to be on. (laughs) I I love that. So today I want to ask us, how do we approach God? How do we approach God? And I think there's three big things that I pull out from, from the text that we looked at there. And the first being that we approach God with our whole self. We don't have to hide certain parts of it. We can, we can bring it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. We can approach God. We just finished a series on the life of David, and we were looking at the Psalms as we were looking through the life of David. And I love the Psalms. They're prayers and songs to God. And one of the things I love about them is the heartfelt emotion in the Psalms. And it's not just the pleasant emotions. It's also the, the unpleasant emotions. In the Psalms, we hear... In Psalm 44, anger and frustration. We, the psalmist writes, Why do you hide your face from me, God, and forget our misery and oppression? In the Psalms, we hear in chapter um, 6, anguish and sorrow. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? In the Psalms, we hear longing for more of God. In Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In the Psalms, we hear rest and peace and hope. In Psalm 62, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. And we hear joy and praise in Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We have all these emotions there. And it's just such a good reminder that God wants us to bring our whole self to him. Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is that we're feeling, whatever it is that we're struggling with. It strikes me. That in order to do that, for me to bring my whole self to God, I need to know myself. I need to know all that inner stuff that's going on inside of me. And I need to be honest with myself about what I'm feeling in order to bring that to God. It's amazing how we can try to ignore that and not really look and not have that self-reflective look at what's going on inside of us. So how do we approach God? First of all, we approach God with our whole self. Secondly, I see in in, in these verses that we approach God with confidence. Hebrews 4, 16 speaks to this as well. Paul writes, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace, to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of God with confidence. And so when you're approaching a throne, I mean, that means there's a, there's a king or royalty of some sort. So you're approaching the king. There's clearly a power differential there. It could be 
um, a bit intimidating. But Paul writes, approach with confidence because you're approaching a throne of grace. Because God deeply loves us and God wants us to be with him. So he wants to help. He wants to extend mercy and grace. And he invites us to approach him with confidence. So we approach God with our whole self. We approach God with confidence. And we approach God with openness. And this one's, this one's an important one. We approach God with openness, giving the Spirit permission to transform us. Because God does not force himself on us. We need to give him permission to work in our lives and to transform us, to let God be God, so to speak, of our lives. I mean, sometimes it's, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, God, you are God of the whole universe. You know, that's great. I believe that. But as for me and my life and my decisions and my thoughts and my, like, how I'm going to do things, like, this is me, you know. But we approach God with openness, letting God be God of our lives and relinquishing that control. Um, stop, for me, I tell myself, I say, stop trying to tell God what to do with you. Because I'll go to God, I'll be like, oh God, here's what I need you to do for me. Here's how I need you to change me. Here's how I need you to, to fix this. You know what? And, and, I, and I say, Sarah, just stop trying to tell God what to do. Like, just relinquish control and let him shape you. And to open ourselves up to God in this way can, can feel new, it can feel scary. And yet when we do, we experience the profound depths of God's goodness and God's love. So we're invited to approach God with our whole selves. We're invited to approach God with confidence, knowing that he is loving and gracious. And we're invited to approach God with openness, allowing the spirit to transform us. And this is such a beautiful journey that is both challenging and deeply fulfilling. It's, it has the potential of our inner being finding a friend like no other. The potential of a relationship that is secure and brings rest and peace and healing and strength and purpose to our lives. It is a journey worth going on. And so as we move into a time of communion, I want us to reflect on this journey. Um, James 4, verse 8, the first part of it says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. And, and I love that. Come near to God and we, he will come near to you. We have this promise that as we approach God, he always draws near to us. And the beautiful reality is that God has not only invited us to approach him, but God has already done everything he possibly can to approach us. In Jesus' life, in the incarnation, God is drawing near to humanity in a very tangible way. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus' death and resurrection reconciles us to God, bringing about forgiveness and hope and healing in our lives. And then as we accept Jesus and as we open ourselves up to him, his spirit, the presence of God, dwells within us right here with us and around us. And, and so as we talk about approaching God, there's not a physical distance that we must overcome. 
What it is, it's, we're talking about the posture of our heart. We're talking about how we approach our relationship with God. And so I'd love for us to think about that during communion. And, and if you'd like to take communion with us, we're going to take communion during the next song. You're welcome to. You don't have to, but if you want to, that's available. And we take the bread that represents Jesus' body, and we dip it in the juice that represents his blood, and we take this as a tangible way to reflect on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as you, as you take that, I want us to reflect on how are we approaching God? Am I, am I willing to bring my whole self to God? Am I coming to this God with confidence, knowing that he's gracious and loving? Am I willing to open myself up and relinquish control and allow him to shape me into the unique reflection of him? This is a gift, friends, a gift that we get to approach God, a gift that Jesus came and died and rose again, that we might know God. So let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your life here on earth. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you for the invitation to be in relationship with you. And God, we ask as we as we reflect on this that you would help us to come to you with our whole self. That you would help us to come to you in confidence knowing that you are loving and gracious. And that you would help us to come to you with an openness, relinquishing control and giving you permission to do whatever you want in us and through us. And God, we thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand, sing this song, take communion if you'd like, and reflect on how we approach God. As we leave here today, I want to leave us with this benediction. May we bring our whole selves to God this week. May we approach God with confidence, knowing that he is loving and gracious towards us. May we open ourselves up to God, relinquishing control and allowing him to shape us. Thank you for being here, friends. Have a great week.